so we can begin. Uh, Pastor Ross had been going through the book of Romans. I've really been enjoying that study. Uh, But since he is out this morning, we're going to take a break from Romans and let him finish that up. Uh, This morning, we're gonna be going to another book in the New Testament, the book of Titus, the book of Titus. So uh, please join me in turning in your Bible to the book of Titus. We'll be in chapter two. We're gonna go through verses 11 through 14, 11 through 14. While you're making your way there, uh, I'll open us up with some prayer and we'll ask the Lord for his grace. So Lord, uh, now we do come before you. We do need your grace this morning. Jesus, you are the head of the church. This is your church, the church you purchased and bought with your own blood. Lord, you lead and guide your, your church through your word. So we pray that you would do that this morning. We pray that your word would hit us clearly, that by your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate your word to us, that you would bring swift conviction, uh, strong encouragement, uh, and just a clear understanding of the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, Well, the theme for this morning's message is uh, the grace of God the grace of God. I was trying to figure out what should I preach on with a day's notice and I went, I've got it. The grace of God, because <laughs> that is exactly what I need right now. I need the grace of God. So let's learn more about that, right? Uh, so um, we're gonna read through uh, the verses. We'll come back, we'll give some points. And then uh, we're just gonna look at uh, what the grace of God is and how it applies in a believer's life. So let's start with verse 11. I'll read it for you. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So we're gonna have three aspects we're gonna look at today. If you'd like to write them down, you can. The first one is that God's grace offers salvation. God's grace offers salvation. Number two, God's grace teaches godliness. God's grace teaches godliness. Lastly, God's grace is coming in glory. All right, so uh, let's start off with the background so we know the context of what we're gonna learn this morning. So the book of Titus is a letter from the Apostle Paul to Titus, obviously, right? That's the name. Now, we don't know a lot about the beginnings of uh, this man, Titus. What we do know is that Paul calls him a son in the faith. 
And we see him pop up on scene and he's faithful like Timothy. Paul loves him like a son. And we see this responsibility being handed over to Titus to care for these churches that Paul put under his authority. Now, Titus has found himself on Crete. And uh, Crete, if you're not familiar with it, we'll show a, a map here. Crete is an island, a large island, uh, south of what is now modern-day Greece. You can see Athens there right up above. Crete is approximately 160 miles long, and it varies in width from seven miles to 30-something miles wide. Uh, so it's a large place. It's a big place. Now, uh, Titus had found himself there, and Paul is writing there to encourage Titus to continue the work and to set things in order. Now, the question that we have is how did the gospel get to Crete? We don't see Paul going to Crete. Uh, we hear kind of tell of the gospel is there, uh, but one of the things commentators suggest is, is pointed out in the gospel uh, in Acts chapter two, verse 11. And here's what it says, during Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples in the upper room, they went out and preached uh, in, in tongues, various languages, and they're preaching these things. And it says that there were people from all these nations there at that time. And it says that one of them were Cretans or from Crete. And so we know that people from Crete were there on the day of Pentecost. So what we know now in the book of Titus is that there were saved people in Crete who have heard the gospel and been saved. Maybe it was from that Pentecost day. And there were unsaved people in Crete still, believe it or not, the entire island was not saved. So Paul is writing to Titus and he starts off in chapter one and he says, Titus, here are the qualifications of a pastor. And he summarizes them very similar to the letter he writes to Timothy. Here's the qualifications. Why did Paul write that? Because Titus and Timothy were gonna raise up pastors to help shepherd the church of God. And there is qualifications. Not everyone can be a pastor. And so he goes through the list. He says in chapter one, here's the qualifications before you even consider a person. And then he says, here's the responsibilities. The next half of chapter one, here's what a pastor needs to do. In chapter two of Titus, we see that Paul then talks about uh, the conduct and character that, that everybody in the church is supposed to have. And he goes down the list and is very practical. And he says, uh, older women and older men, here's how you act. Here's what you do. You train up the younger women and the younger men. And he explains that. And he says, uh, even referring to bond servants or, or uh, in relationship to workers and your bosses, he explains the conduct you're supposed to have. So if you are looking for uh, a very practical um, book, Titus is it. If you're like, I love the Lord, just what do I do next? Go to Titus, read through it. It's very clear, very simple, not too deep theological, uh, theologically, although there are some tremendous nuggets theologically, and we'll see one of those this morning. But in chapter three, he goes down and he says, here's the, the manner in which leaders and members of the church, here's how you need to conduct yourself out in the world. And the goal is to win people for Christ. And he explains just simply how you should act so that you can adorn the gospel of God in a good light. Well, our passage today is at the final portions of chapter two. 
Now, one of the things that was happening in Crete and everywhere Paul was going is there were uh, Jews who were following Paul and were telling the people who had just been saved, you've gotta follow the law of Moses if you want to go to heaven. Hey, Jesus is good, but you gotta have the law as well if you have any hope of making it. Now, they were constantly at opposition, Paul, and he called them the Judaizers or uh, uh, the circumcision because they were insisting that according to the Jewish law that uh, believers, uh, male believers be circumcised. And so he's, he's uh, constantly refuting them and he commands Titus to, uh, to put them away, silence those men, he says. They must be silenced and you're the pastor, that's your job, silence them, they're done. Teach what is godly and what is right. And that is why God has put you there, Titus. So be a man and step up and do it, essentially is what he's encouraging him to do. Now, uh, these Judaizers also had uh, this accusation against Paul. They're, they're saying, Paul, all you teach is grace, 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 and that we're saved by grace. And so in Romans 3, 8, Paul says, they falsely are saying about me uh, that I am teaching, why don't we do more sin? Because then it's better for us if it's just a life of grace. So what we're gonna look at in our passage of scripture is that Paul is gonna clarify to Titus that grace is not a license to sin, but that grace uh, is uh, the means by which we're saved. Grace is uh, the way that we are taught of the Lord uh, and grace gives us the hope that we have of him returning. Let's look at the first verse. Uh, verse 11, chapter two. Our first point is God's grace offers salvation. Uh, God's grace has appeared that offers salvation to all people is the verse. So we'll start simply and we'll get deeper into the text. The simple part, grace, what is grace? Grace by definition is, it means kindness toward someone who does not deserve it. When you see grace, think kindness being extended to someone who definitely doesn't deserve it. God's grace simply refers to his relationship with sinners. Sinners don't deserve any kindness from God. Think about that for a second. You and I have broken God's laws. We don't deserve God's kindness. No matter what we do, no matter how we try to earn it, if God doesn't wanna offer it, he doesn't have to. He's not obligated to. By his choice, he has extended kindness to us because he is a kind God, but we did not earn it in order to receive it. Does that make sense? Okay, so God's grace has appeared. This word appeared is very important. See, God's grace had to show up on scene. It wasn't like we came to the knowledge that uh, we need God's grace, we better start looking for it. God knew we needed it, he extended it to us, and then he puts grace on scene. This word appeared is, is a Greek word that means uh, coming to light. It's been made known, it's come to light, it's here, it's appeared. And this whole tie-in is referencing and pointing to Jesus Christ himself, who is grace, God's grace, in the flesh to us. Jesus Christ came and he appeared. Uh, and he says that, in, and it says in John chapter one, says he came to the world, even though the world made him and the world didn't recognize him. 
says he came to his own who he made and he gave uh, the Old Testament law to and they didn't receive him. And so he was coming after us and that's always how God's grace initiates is he comes after us. He appeared. You know, it's funny thinking about appeared. We live today in the age of scientific discovery. You notice that we're always discovering stuff. We have a discovery channel, okay? We've got uh, discovery magazines. We've got on the news, what, what's been discovered? We've discovered places on the earth. We've discovered people on the earth. We discovered planets. We discovered that Pluto wasn't a planet. We're discovering all these things, right? The emphasis is on man. We're doing the discovery. We're doing the finding. It will in all man's wisdom and knowledge we could not find God's grace. We could not recognize the Son of God standing two feet from us. Look at the disciples themselves, uh, and we'll look at John the Baptist in John chapter one. This is John talking, and just listen to him. Now, John was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth and sent to proclaim that the Messiah is coming, and here's, him, here's what he says. Verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he recognizes, look, that's Jesus, but look what he says. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him. Again, John the Baptist. I didn't know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me this, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So John says, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. John didn't recognize the Messiah. The Messiah had to appear to him and God had to reveal it to him and say, look, you're baptizing, you think just another guy, and look, the spirit comes and remains on him. Hello, this is him, he's right in front of you. He's appearing, it's God's grace in the flesh right before you. Now John's saying this now, he's proclaiming, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says that day one. Says so the next day he goes, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's really no response from people the first time because they're not really fully looking or understanding this yet. But the second time, here's what happens in verse 35. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. This is, again, this is happening. Hello, the Lamb of God. Now, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing, listen, Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. <laughs> yes, you did, you found the Messiah. After looking and searching and interviewing day after day after day, people, uh, night and day recruiting people, uh, not eating for weeks, just trying to search and look, where is this Messiah? We've got to find him. No, that's not how they found the Messiah. 
They found the Messiah because the Holy Spirit came down from heaven and landed on Jesus Christ. God the Father was audibly speaking, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then John the Baptist was going, look, the Lamb of God. Next day, look, the Lamb of God. We found him. We found the Messiah. We've got him now. I'm going to go tell my brother that I found the Messiah. <clears throat> now, I don't think that was necessarily the intent of Andrew coming and telling his brother, trying to one-up him or anything like that. But the concept is sound, that we have this concept of we're the one doing the discovering. But that's not at all what this verse says. Let's go back to verse 11. The verse says that the grace of God has appeared. God himself showed up on scene. Grace in the flesh. Let's look at the John, uh, oh, one moment here. Let's look at the next part of the verse. It says this, that offers salvation to all people. It's important to know that when Jesus came, this wasn't the first instance of God's grace to all people. Ever since we've been created, even beforehand, God has been extending his grace to everyone. There's a thing theologically called common grace. That just means that uh, God by his nature is good. God by his nature is loving. God by his nature is kind. And so he causes uh, even the wicked and, and the righteous as well to have life, to continue to have life. He sends his son on the wicked and the righteous. He sends the rain on the wicked and the righteous. He does this because he's kind. It's a common grace extended. It's a kindness extended to people who don't deserve it. He's always been doing that. But this is talking about something more specifically. See, salvation is the highest form of grace because salvation is offering the most you can offer to the person who least deserves it. God, it cost him severely. He had to send his own son to die for us. And we did not deserve it. He was paying the price for our sins, scripture says in Isaiah. And so uh, God has offered this great thing. And uh, it's a high, high, high grace and kindness, but it's also to all people. Now he could have done this to one or two people and it still would have been magnificent. But this offer is available to everyone, everywhere. The Bible says that it is God's will that none perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so he makes this offer available to all. The Great Commission. Jesus is getting ready to leave and, and go back to heaven. And he tells the disciples, go into all the world, go everywhere and make disciples, preach the gospel, do this. Why? Because he wants his house to be filled. He wants people to be saved. He doesn't want anyone anywhere to perish. So it's a wide, giant grace. It is a high and lofty grace and kindness. And that is what God has offered to us. But this is what is so interesting. We kind of, as a society, go, that's nice. And we kind of take it with a grain of salt and realize it's a big deal. But our society is kind of cool with grace. 
We like grace. The news likes grace. Books and songs like grace. Everybody kind of likes grace, right? Everybody should kind of get stuff. Nobody mess or judge with anybody. Just do whatever you want. That's the world's idea of grace. So we don't have a problem with this statement that God's grace has appeared and offered salvation to all people. But a few thousand years ago, they did. A few thousand years ago, this would have been the contention. Have you ever read the book of Jonah? The entire principle in the book of Jonah is that God is taking one of his prophets and sending him to his enemies. And what's the result? We all know, all, all know. Jonah, he goes, I'm not going there. They're my enemies. I don't want them to be saved. I'll go anywhere else. Throw me overboard. And quite honestly, when he was thrown overboard, I think he was hoping he'd die. He was, that's why he was more okay with that. Throw me overboard. Then at least I won't have to go and preach to them. I'm telling you, that is the heart of Jonah. And then what? The big fish swallows him up. He comes to repentance as much as he can. He's vomited up on shore. He's sopping wet. He's walking through the village. And what does he say? He doesn't give some kind, loving message of forgiveness and trust that he's grown in the Lord and understands the heart of God. He says, repent or you are gonna be cooked. And he walks through the city doing this, repent, you guys better repent. God's not happy with you, you better repent. And then they repent. They say, what should we do? And they repent. And Jonah is so upset at God. <laughs> Chapter four, he indicts God and he go, he's waiting for the, you know, the fireworks. You know? He's like, come on, burn the city. I did my part, you do yours. And they're <laughs> repenting. And he accuses God and he says, God, I knew you were a forgiving God. I knew you wouldn't follow through with it, but that you wanted people to repent. That's his accusation against God. And he's upset about it because those are his enemies. They shouldn't go to the same place he's gonna go. They shouldn't be given the grace and the kindness that he deserves. He doesn't deserve it. The more and more I walk with the Lord and you walk with the Lord, you will find out that you did not deserve God's kindness. You did not. I mean, we have these things in our mind where we go, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know. Yeah, wow, that was great. But no, you didn't deserve God's kindness. As much as that person that you're thinking of right now that you said, yeah, them, I don't want them to be saved. I don't want them, you know, uh, kind of in the heart or, or they'll never be saved or, you know, uh, you know, there's no hope for them. That, that whole feeling, that was you. That was me. God's kindness can affect them as much as it affects you if they receive it. So God's called us to go and to do that. It's a wide salvation for all people. So the world uh, now today, we don't wrestle with this. New Testament even, they would have wrestled with this because they received this salvation by faith, Christ's completed work, and Peter and the apostles were preaching and preaching, and then God says, go to the Gentiles. Peter has a hard time with that. And he goes, no, surely not. Lord, you're joking. Go to the Gentiles. They know nothing about you. They don't care at all. The Gentiles, you know what kind of people those people are? I'm not going there, you know? And God works on his heart more and more. And so he kind of inches along and he shows up in the door and he's like, what do you, what do you want me for? You know, uh, that's in Acts chapter 10. Shows up at Cornelius' house. He's kind of standing there. You don't hear the same thing. You don't hear this, you know, like, let me tell you the heart of the Lord. Let me tell you what God really wants. He wants everybody to be saved. You don't hear that. 
a lot better than Jonah, but you still kind of hear the, so what did the angel tell you I was gonna do? You know the rest of the story. An angel told Cornelius, send for Peter. He's gotta tell you something. And he, he kind of starts sharing, you know, kind of eases into it. And pretty soon they're getting saved because they believe. They're speaking in tongues. And he's going, wow, I guess God wants all people to be saved. And then Peter writes First and Second Peter and tells us that God wants all people to be saved. But nowadays, no, we're, we're understanding of this. Now the world right now, if you'd read this verse to them, they'd say, that sounds great. I like that. I'm cool with that. Let's go. But God's grace and kindness doesn't stop there. Let's go to our second point. God's grace teaches us, teaches us. Verse 12 says this, it, meaning God's grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Ungodliness, just that word, uh, has to do with an attitude, an attitude of, of not even caring about God or anything to do with him. It's not that you hate God, you just don't even have you know, complete apathy towards him. You're just not, why? You know, I'm not trying to spite you, even though that's how I'm living my entire life. Uh, but that ungodliness, uh, the Holy Spirit, through God's kindness, is teaching us to say, no. No, you're not gonna act that way. You're not gonna feel that way. Uh, I'm gonna teach you in my kindness from the inside out. Worldly passions or worldly desires. That word in the Greek means just the character of the world, just what the world esteems, what the world cares about. You know, the, the world will tell you with worldly passions, oh, no, 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 no. No, you hold on to those. You embrace those passions and desires. That's what makes you who you are. And God in his great kindness, after saving you, gives you the strength and the power to say, no, I'm not. No, I won't. Do you realize uh, as a believer, I mean, looking at this, you might uh, look at this and go, okay, I see, you know, kind of actions need to change. Uh, say no. Wow, that's the first time I might have heard that, that that God is teaching me to say no. Look at the word worldly passions and desires. It doesn't say worldly actions. We're talking about the inside of us. God's kindness is working on the inside of us. And if you're a believer in Christ, you've received the Holy Spirit and you cannot have an outward relationship with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is inward. The way that God uh, affects his grace and kindness towards us by saving us, then by sanctifying us. And so he's working on the inside and he's dealing with things that haven't even been uh, manifested outwardly yet. He's working on your anger, uh, your, anger your hatred, your lust, uh, your adultery, your idolatry. He's working in that. And you know what he says? He says, I'm gonna give you the power to say no say no. In fact, that's what I'm asking you to do. If you are a Christian listening to this right now, you will say no every day for the rest of your life because God is that kind. He's extended his grace. You see, 
A lot of us have this idea that, uh, no, I know what Christ did for me and I see his power to, to forgive me of my sins. He paid for it in full on the cross. I get that. But do you realize that in his great grace and his mighty power, he also gave you what you needed to be free from the power of sin? Amen. That's it. We, the old is gone, as scripture says, the new has come. Put off the old man, put on the new man. And it's as simple as saying no. God's grace, it's that simple. We had no power before we came to Christ, none. We could try to stop. We could try to start if it was something good, but we had no power to do it. And we owed the price and penalty for our sins. But God in his grace forgave us of those sins when we came to him. And he's calling us out of those sins. And he's saying, you now are to say no to that. And you're to say yes to this. Look at this. He says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That word self-controlled uh, means soberness or temperate. Uh, the word upright uh, means uh, similar to righteous, just um, in your dealings with people that you're morally uh, correct and you're doing the right thing. And the idea of godliness uh, is just talking about your attitude towards the Lord. He's your Lord now. You want to do what pleases him. And in his kindness, he allows you to, not to earn salvation, but because you're saved. Because salvation continues. We have been saved upon trusting in Christ. We are being saved right now. And one day when he returns, it will be complete will be complete. But until that day, we're gonna be saying no, and we're gonna be saying yes. Listen to what this commentator said uh, <clears throat> in regards to uh, just these three things to do. F.B. Meyer says, live soberly. That word uh, meaning, you know, live self-controlled doesn't mean like you're measuring it up in yourself and you're trying harder in yourself. Uh, it's, it's in regard to your personal life, your personal just living the stuff maybe that nobody else sees. Live soberly. Doesn't matter if no one else is around. Righteously has to do, the next part, uh, upright, has to do with uh, in your relationship with others. Do what's right in your relationship to others. That's what God's grace is leading you to. And then finally, godly is our relationship to God. Relationship to God. I thank God that he doesn't say that all desires are sinful and you need to get rid of desire. He says, no, your desires are wrong. The wires are crossed. You're born into sin. And it's really simple. I'm gonna free you from sin. And then you just need to realize that they're correct now and you just walk it out. Walk it out. Stop doing what you used to do. Just do what I'm showing you to do. If you're familiar with the belief of Buddhism, Buddhism has as its highest form of enlightenment, the goal to, to extinguish all desire, extinguish all desire. They believe that desire is the root cause for suffering in the world. Buddhism arose out of Hinduism to answer the question of, well, if we keep reincarnating and reincarnating, it's just more and more and more suffering. How do we stop the reincarnation process? 
The answer they came up with was, uh, well, we just learn not to care. We learn not to desire anything. We have no desire, no passion at all. We, we get rid of that and then our souls will cease to exist and we'll stop the reincarnation process. The goal of Buddhism is soul suicide. Do you realize that? That's what it is. That is what they are learning to do. That's what they're practicing. Some people get caught up with some of the little things and think this is great. Mindfulness is a popular thing right now. The goal of Buddhism is to cease to exist. You made it is what they're saying. They have this elaborate thing, they call it sand mandalas that Tibetan Buddhists do. They create these ornate drawings on the ground made out of sand. It takes days, weeks, sometimes even months. If you look them up online, they're beautiful, colorful. They take little straws and they're making lines and they're just tapping it in and just the patience and all these things is incredible. And guess what they do at the very end? wash it all away because we're not supposed to care. That is not biblical. That is not what God has called us to. That's not what he's saying is get rid of all desire. He says, your desire is for the world. It needs to be for me. And you can't change that yourself, but I, in my kindness, am gonna send my Holy Spirit to you and you are gonna be changed from the inside out. Cooperate with me. And that is the call of every believer. That's the deepest heart cry of every believer. Yes, we are tempted. Yes, uh, we have desires uh, that you know, may not be godly, but the point is the deepest heart cry of our heart is that I wanna be pleasing in the sight of God. I want to be closer to the Lord. Think of what Moses said. You know, Moses is receiving the 10 commandments. He's receiving the full law. He's going up uh, on Mount Sinai, he's receiving all of this. He, a cloud is enveloping him and they're hearing the voice of God. And then what does Moses say? He goes, just show me your glory. I wanna see your glory. I want more of you, I wanna be closer to you. And God says, you can't, you'll die. You can't. And so in this waiting, uh, in this waiting, we are, wait, uh, we are waiting for God to come through. This brings us to our next point which is this, that God's grace is coming in glory. See, God has made a promise that he's returning. He's made a promise uh, that he is coming in glory. And uh, let's, let's pull up the verse from 1 John. 1 John 3, 2 says this, John is writing and saying, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be made like him, for we shall see him as he is. That is what every believer is looking forward to while we're waiting in this present age, surrounded by the disasters, surrounded by uh, the people that are against all these things, people that are, are going you know, crazy. The world is running amok, it appears sometimes. But we are waiting for the day that he's gonna appear. Why? Because we're gonna be made like him in holiness. We're gonna be connected with him forever. Nothing's ever gonna come between us. There's never gonna be a time when we're in heaven and he's like, he's not talking to you today because of what you did yesterday. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Perfect communion with God forever. 
The next part of this verse, verse three says, and everyone who has this hope purifies himself, knowing that God, he is holy. He is pure. You see, God's grace appeared in the flesh at the beginning uh, in its fullness. Jesus Christ is God's grace in fullness. And Jesus Christ will appear in glory and that glory will be in its fullness. And let's look at verse 13 here. While we wait for this blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, we recognize that we're not waiting for some experience, we're waiting for the God-man, Jesus Christ. Now, theologically, this is a powerful verse. If you've ever been raised uh, and taught that Jesus Christ is not God, look at this verse in Scripture. We're waiting for what? The appearing of our glory, correction, of the glory and of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It doesn't say great God and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Both of those things, great God and Savior, are referring to Jesus Christ. If you look at it in the Greek, that is what it's saying, that Jesus Christ is both God and both Savior. If you're not sold on that, continue reading. It says in verse 14, who gave himself for, to us for the redemption, uh, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. Yes, that's what Jesus Christ accomplished. And the final proof uh, that I think is most convincing and simple and clear to see is that we are waiting for the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who are we supposed to be waiting for that's going to be appearing in the New Testament? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. We don't see that the Father is going to show up as well. We see that Jesus Christ is going to come in his fullness and in his glory. And this verse right here is saying, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Amen. Jesus is God. And what did he do to give us this, this grace to not only save us from our sins, but to teach us to walk out this grace, not to earn it like uh, the Judaizers were saying, um, but no, not, and not to live uh, however we want, like the world would teach today, but to love and to learn from the Lord in his kindness, right? There's ways you can learn from the Lord. I would go with his kindness. That's how I wanna learn from the Lord, right? But Paul just brings this all back around. And he says, look, remember the glory of God that appeared that offered salvation to all men? Look at verse 14. It's Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. That's how we get that salvation that's now available to all men. And he gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. Look at the verse, in verse 12, where it says, look, the, the grace of God is teaching us to say no to ungodliness. Why? Because when he gave himself for us, he was redeeming us from all wickedness. He's brought us out of that. And then continuing, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. So what God's grace is leading in, teaching us to live sober lives, to be right in our relationship with others, to be right in our relationship with God in godliness. He's doing that because Jesus is purifying for himself a people of his very own. 
and then look at the result. These people who have been trained by God in his kindness, who receive the kindness of God, are eager to do what is good. They start doing what's right because they've got the heart of God, they've captured the heart of God. They've received the kindness from the Lord. And they're excited to do what's right, not so that they can be saved to the Judaizers who believe that, but because they are saved. And so he's saying, no, no. Grace that I preach is not uh, a grace uh, for licentiousness, just meaning a license to do whatever you want. The grace that I preach is a grace that forgives, pays the price for your sin, teaches and calls you out. And then from that inwardness, you are eager to serve and love the Lord. You have a license not to sin because of grace. You have a license to love the Lord, to know the Lord, to learn from the Lord, and to serve the Lord with all of your heart. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for your grace, your great kindness that was extended to us, great debtors. Uh, none of us deserve it. God, I just confess that there are times when I think that something in me deserves some of it. There is nothing in me that deserved any of your grace. It is all about you. It is all about your great kindness that you had uh, towards me and us while we were sinners. We wouldn't have even been able to find you, God, unless you waved yourself in front of our faces time and time again, more than once coming after us because you didn't want us to perish. We thank you that you save us and don't leave us like we are, acting like we did beforehand, but that you are teaching us to say no, that you are calling us to live right and godly lives before you, purifying ourselves because you're, you want a purified people who are eager to do what is good. We acknowledge this is all your work, God, and we love you for being kind to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.